everybody kind of dragging this morning, but God's good no matter what. Amen. No matter what time the Ooh. clock says it is, and I guess it's been set because I think it's yes, that's right. So, but it's good to be here. Good to be in God's house. We're all here. We're ready and willing to learn the Word of God. If, if you wasn't here, you you'd be out doing something else, learning something that the world will teach you. You know, there's a lot out there in this world that we can learn also. But what's the most important? Knowing the Word. Well, if we know the Word, it'll teach us how to follow God through this evil world that we live in. And that's what we got to do. we got to stick with God and stick with each other. So let's pray. Let's see what God has for us today. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for your Word, the truth that is that it is, Lord God. We just ask that you just reveal the truth to us, Lord God, today. Open our hearts and minds to receive what it says and what it's going to teach us, Lord God. We just ask that your Holy Spirit just, just flow freely throughout this building today and just touch and anoint us, Lord God, as we bring forth the Word and teach your Word. And we just thank you again for this chance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, Rock Harbor. Good morning. Yeah, you know, sometimes the the, uh, the daylight savings time thing will, will get you. Um, in my house, though, sometimes I wonder if we ever sleep, so it's like normal stuff for us. I'm, <laughs> I, I think I'm the only one. Everyone else is doing stuff, and, and I'm like, ah, I got to go to bed. Um, page uh, six in our study guides, Wars of Extermination. I thought there for a little bit they was going to talk about bug killing. I was like, no, there's no way. There's no way they're talking about that. Yeah, I was like, no. We're not supposed to talk about this stuff on Sunday. Central truth is that God enables us to live victoriously over evil. Key verse in Ephesians 6 and 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Very familiar scripture, and we always, you always... It's always one that you'll hear brought up when you're talking about warfare. Uh, anytime, spiritual warfare, of course. So we're talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, that's definitely uh, one that you're going to hear. So under Let's Get Started, it says, Today we're looking at the difficult passages of Scripture where God told the Israelites to completely destroy nations that occupied the land he had promised to his people. We must remember that God's ways are higher than ours, and he always has reasons for the instructions he gives. Okay, so... Um, the lesson, the way that it sets this up, you remember that last week we were talking about scriptures difficult to understand or things that might seem like a contradiction. And so this week it furthers the study of that particular topic about scriptures that seem kind of like they, they, they don't mix correctly, like there's something uh, uh, contradictory going on there. One thing I want to point out, and the lesson, it'll bring some different stuff out. I don't, I don't know, maybe... The way I look at the book, sometimes I don't I don't like the way the book brings things out. Sometimes I think they could have done a little bit better job, especially when talking about things like this. And it says that we must remember that God's ways are higher than ours, and he always has reasons for the instructions he gives. It, it kind of alludes to the fact, or alludes to an idea that God does things or did things in the Old Testament that just didn't have any rhyme or reason, and we just can't explain those. I, I disagree with that. I believe that there are some really, really key reasons why God does some of the things that he does. We're going to talk about that. Even though the lesson covers it, I want to bring some things out to you that I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me over the years as to why God done some of the things he did in the Old Testament. You're going to see some parallels there to our life today. You know I'm big on parallels because there's lots of things to learn from the Old Covenant, 
And there's a lot of things that even though we're living under grace now, and we could say, yes, things have changed, but there are a lot of things that haven't changed. But God's people have thought that it didn't apply to them anymore. There are uh, obviously one of those things that we can obviously point out is, you know, the Old Testament was designed to point to sin, right? It was the, it was the way pointer. It's like, all right, these things are bad. By walking into the New Testament, did that make things that were once bad okay? No. No, absolutely not. Remember some of the, the writers of uh, uh, Paul said it, you know, should, should, I, should I just go ahead and sin without uh, uh, just, you know, basically, uh, should I sin with, basically with a license to sin? Uh, God forbid. God forbid that I go out and willingly sin. So, uh, there are some things that I want us to understand this morning uh, with parallels from the Old Testament into the New. So it says, um, some of the most difficult and challenging portions of the Bible are found where God directs Israel to kill their enemies and not just kill them, but to totally wipe them out. All right, so first of all, I want to make sure that we understand that when we're talking about reasons why God uh, annihilated and took out particular groups of people, Canaanites, and, and we'll, we'll get into more of that as we go. First of all, it's not just a one-sided thing, and I think that's very important to understand. I think we, you, if you read through that as a story and not understand that there's also a bit of history to the people that are being wiped out, not just the fact that you say, oh, it's God's people. Oh, God's people come on the scene, so everyone else has to die. No, that's not what happened. There was actually, it was a correlation. God had said, I want you to take over the land, and I want you to wipe out all the people that are in front of you. Well, what we may not understand is that the people that were being wiped out were also in the process of being judged because of their sins. So you gotta you gotta look at the two and you gotta put those together. And you gotta understand that the people that were being judged were engulfed in all kinds of sin. So we could say easily that they were representation of sin that God's people could be involved in. So in a in a kind of a, an example what do we do, or first of all, what did Christ do with sin? He annihilated it, right? I mean, he put it, he put it down. He, put, he took its power away from it, right? But you and I know, as God's people, that we have to constantly make a conscious decision every single day to keep the old man down and the new man alive. Come on. So it's this decision that we constantly make to not be influenced or engulfed or to allow sin to come back in our life. We, have, we could easily say that sin has to be killed in our own personal lives every single day. You have to kill it. You have to put it down. So they uh, represented something of judgment. And I want you to make sure you understand that before we move on. It says these portions are especially difficult for Christians whose beliefs are informed by the New Testament ethic of loving one's enemies as taught by Jesus. Okay? That's true. He did speak about loving your enemy. I think the lesson is a bit out of context with this particular Old Testament scripture, but I can understand how we can get mixed up in that too because we'll, people will just throw that scripture out of the blue, and I think that's really good for us to get a hold of this morning. Is Remember, we always talk about that when we're talking about these lessons. Remember context. Context is everything. You can't, we, it's, I, I think this is probably something that's been in really imposed upon my spirit more and more as I, I look at the stories and I look at God's word and I, and I see things I see things differently than I did 10 years ago. I say, wow, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really realize the context of that. 
there are certain scriptures that I don't even really like quoting anymore because I've quoted them for so long and I didn't realize that I was quoting them out of context. I just grabbed the thing and just used it wherever I wanted to. And some people would say, well, that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I don't know. I think sometimes we can be a little reckless with the way that we use the Word of God, just taking it out and then just picking a particular scripture that we like and then just using it in any situation and say, well, that applies. If, if, if it's been taken out of context, it didn't actually mean that. You understand that context is everything, especially when we're talking about Old Testament and New Testament. We, especially when we're talking about some of the things that Jesus said. I'm very cautious about you know, thinking about some of those particular scriptures saying, yeah, that, that applies to my situation. I'm in this situation. That situation looks a lot like that one, so they must, they must connect. Not always. Not always. And, and I don't know about you, I, I think I took a kind of a poll a couple weeks ago and asked you guys how many of you had a Strong's Concordance that you have studied with or ever studied with it at one time. I encourage you, you might want to look at your Strong's. That was probably some of my first lessons of learning God's Word had been taken out of context by me. And I had heard scriptures quoted and, and used in certain situations. And when I got to actually looking at the wording and the way it actually said it in the Hebrew and the Greek, I was like, goodness, we're like way off. It's like actually in the other direction. There were things that were said and expressed in that language that I wasn't getting. And as I began to study it and look at the actual word meanings, I said, okay, I get it now. That makes perfect sense. And now I understand why it never made sense to me before. Sometimes the English language doesn't do a very good job of interpreting Greek and Hebrew. It just, it, it does a bad job. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I've used that one scripture quite a bit, you know. Uh, ask and you shall receive. Right. Well, you shall receive it, all right, if you line it with God. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you're not going to receive it. Well, and let's, I think that's a good example. We take that scripture, ask and you shall receive. How many different ways could I take that scripture and use it the wrong way? Uh -huh. It's like, it's almost like you, you can take that scripture and it almost becomes a wish list. It's like asking you shall receive. And I, I think that's a great example. But Jim makes up a good point. We have It's within the framework of God's will for your life. Mm -hmm. It's within that particular framework. And, and I always, you've heard me say this a lot. I think that's probably one of the more dangerous scriptures in Western culture to take out of context. Because, mm -hmm. man, that could mean anything. And I'm not, you know, I have nothing wrong with prosperity. That's fine. But I always warn against that stuff because of our culture. Because we take them scriptures, especially the ones that seemingly allude to prosperity, and we'll use those. It's like God said I could have this, this, and this. And it's like, uh, I don't know if that really means it that way. I don't know if he's actually saying it that way. So we always got to be careful with that. All right. So it's when you place the passages under consideration in today's lesson next to Jesus' teaching about loving one's enemies, it seemed like an ethical contradiction. What the, uh, what the God of the Old Testament commanded seems out of character with God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what Jesus taught in the New Testament. Today's study will help us untangle this seemingly or seeming contradiction. I will say right off the front end that when it says that it, it may seem to go against uh, his character, I will we'll actually study this this morning as we go through this, and I'll show you that it is very much his character. That's To me, this is where it gets very interesting because we get to explore a little more about the character of God in depth. And remember, don't dismiss, there are some parallels to the character of God in the Old Testament 
and the God that we serve today. Why? Because he's still the same God. Always remember that. You think, wow, well, he did things differently back then. Yeah, he did them a little bit differently simply due to the way that things were structured in the way that he carried out his message. Has God changed? No, he just has sent his son. That's what the difference is. He sent his son. So now there's a delay of judgment for what? A judgment day where all things will be judged. Then it was quite the immediate. And you, so you look at some of the things that happened in the Old Testament. You think, why was God so harsh? Well, he wasn't harsh. No, he wasn't harsh at all. As a matter of fact, he just simply judged at that moment. So when grounds opened up and swallowed people, and people were like, oh, my goodness. How could a loving God do that? Eh, I think we'll get into this and you'll see. It's really good. Uh -huh. Okay. So uh, page 7. Let's read our scriptures. Let's take a volunteer. Does anyone want to read this morning? I always, always designate somebody. Oh. Okay. Thank you. Deuteronomy 7.1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drive out before you many nations, the Hittites, Bergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show no, them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Joshua 6.21 They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Judges 2.1 The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. Matthew 24, 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay. Thank you. All right. Right off the front end, let me say th say this: when we're talking, because we're, we're going to be talking about uh, you know quite a few things this morning, I want I want to try to get finished. Chances are we won't, because there's quite a bit a bit of information to cover. One of the things that I always want you to pay attention to when we start talking about parallels, things that are in the Old Testament that 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 do branch over into the New Testament. Um, if you've ever read Leviticus, you'll see that God gave Levitical law. Uh, he obviously gave the Ten Commandments. He gave a sh what we call a it was law, but it was also it was a structure. It, uh, well, let me go a step further. It was government for them. 
They had to have those things in place, and God knew that. So he put all these things in place. The thing that, that I, I want modern Christianity to understand is that sin is still sin. Now, not just because I told you so, but because history says so. You, you got to get that. So that should, if you're, if you're like into history and historical things, that should spark a bit of interest to you to study because in a society that wants to dome down things and, and to take things and, and sweep them under the rug and say, you know, we're a, uh, uh, an accepting society. We, um, we've evolved and we, we're into all these new things. It should scare us a bit to do the history and see that every society that ever done what we're doing right now as a society it never ended well for them. And so this is why you hear, you know, you hear us talk about um, uh, last Sunday night, we were talking about some hot topics um, in our country today. And I, and I thought son last Sunday night, if you weren't here, there was a fantastic conversation because we got to talk about some things that just need, simply need to be talked about in church. And I think they do need to be talked about. But the thing that we're seeing today is, is the same type of thing that we've seen throughout history, just Look at the history marks. Look at the Roman Empire, who really had a great government set up. There's, there's a lot of things that we do now that come from the old Roman Empire. You may not understand that, but we do. Why? Because it worked. Unfortunately, we're also making some of the same mistakes that they did. And so even you may say, well, I just don't know about all of this stuff. I'm not really, uh, I don't know about the spiritual. I don't want to know if I, I don't know if I, uh, I believe you because you told me so. That's fine. You don't have to. Just do, do your homework. Look at the repercussions. And if, and if I think we're fooling ourselves, if we think we can, we can somehow better what everyone else failed at. There's no way. There's no way. And every time that a, a God's people turned to him, repented of their sin, he restored them, he recovered them, and he prospered them. So, I mean, from an, let's just say from a, I don't like to leave the spiritual part out of this, but I, I'll say it like this. Just from an economic perspective, just from, just from, a, uh, uh, from a social, an ethical, and a moral perspective, look at the history that comes with those things. Don't just simply say, well, just, it just is not really our, our culture to do those type of things. No, no, no. Do the homework. Look back, and every time a society begin to go down that course, that path, socialism, it never ends well. It never ends well. So I, I say that because we're, we're definitely in a, in, a, in a mix right now. God's people need to understand the major parallels between Old Testament sin and New Testament sin. There's still, sin is still sin. I, I said all that to say that. Sin is still sin. So, uh, all right, page eight, mandate for such wars. Israel was about to enter the promised land, and God was giving them instructions. You must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. That was the that was actual quote from these, these scriptures. God warned Israel about associating with the people of the land. All right, so here's the first question. I want you guys to weigh in on this. So why would he, if, 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 we're, if you're just telling me what you think, why would he ask them to go in and destroy everything? What do you think the reasoning is? No temptation. 
Okay, no temptation. That's good. What else? Purification. Purification? Yeah, very much so, too, because there was, there was um, you know, there's obedience wrapped up in those, those things that he said. So there's also a purification process with the obedience. It draws them closer to him. It's a good point. I just want to make sure that we're not confused that God just wasn't going on a rant. That God just simply wasn't doing this for no reason. And, and like I said at the beginning and stated, God wasn't simply doing this just because his people showed up on the scene. It's like, oh, those were good people. Well, those were those were good people. No, those people were actually mixed in judgment at the at the that point in time. So so things were bad. Well, think about God's people. If you think that's unfair, you think well, God's being unfair. Okay, let's let's make that argument. God was being unfair. Mm-hmm. Let's just do the history work. What happened to God's people when they disobeyed God? Did they not go into slavery? Did God not punish them? Amen. So I don't see a God who sways. Only on one side. I see a God who pronounces judgment, and when judgment comes, judgment's there because of sin. And 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 you want to? We say what's a one of the common denominators of society? Sin. <laughs> sin is a common denominator of society, and so I see that here. That God wasn't a respecter. He's not a respecter of people, and we know that. And when when uh, you look at the the judgment that was coming for them, and He was going to judge them. There were some major things about to take place. He was going to use his people to carry out his judgment, which he often did. He used people to carry out judgment. He was using his people in this particular um, in this particular scripture set of scriptures. But when you turn the tables, and when God's people begin to sin, he would use surrounding nations as his ability to judge them by them coming in, taking their stuff, and carrying them away. So that. To me, that kind of unces the whole argument of, well, God's kind of a one-sided God, and, and he just kind of does things for his children that he don't do for other people. Well, I mean, I'm under grace. Thank you, Jesus, that he loves me and I've accepted him. But from what I can tell, that's the only difference between me and anyone else out there. I'm, I'm still the same person. I'm prone to faults. Are you prone to faults? I'm prone to make mistakes. I'm not high. Higher than anyone else. The only difference is, is I have made a decision to make him the Lord of my life, and I've recognized that I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. And that's the only difference. <laughs> he told them that because they went out there and done that and brought, brought something back with them. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it tells in there. One yeah. Of the, one of the women for their sons. Yeah. Bringing uh, sin into the camp. Mm-hmm. Bringing sin home with you. Right. And I guarantee you, if you bring it home with you, it's going to be hard to get rid of. It's going to be hard to get rid of. All right. And we're about to make a good point along those lines, Jim. All right. So he says he was judging the Canaanite tribes because of their wickedness. Deuteronomy 9 and 5. He forbade his people to intermarry with these wicked people. All right. So, second question. But he said he wanted to wipe them out. We kind of weighed in on that. Someone tell me why he said, I don't want you marry, intermarrying with them. Why, why would he say that? Why, what's the reasoning? So no, no, he's cutting off all uh, opportunity to make a relationship, all right? He's saying, I want you to have no relationship. Uh-huh. So tell me the ramifications of intermarrying with a group of people that he said to destroy. Unequally yoked. Okay. family like God established. There can't be the head of the house and the wife. 
submitting and there's no family like God wants it to be. If somebody's coming from a different job, they don't hold the same okay. accountability. That, that's it right there. The, 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 the tribe had, and that's remember, that's why they were being judged. It's a great point. That's why they were being judged. Why? Because of their sin. So you're going to take a group of people that are, are being judged for their sin. because Why? Because that's all they know. That's what they're involved in. Then you take God's people who have, who have adopted God's ways and following God. Then you bring a husband and wife together. Then you have lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> you have lukewarm. Or you could even have, and it seems, to, it seems to me there's even a bit of history involved in this, that I've not seen it where if they intermarried that it went God's way. It never did. It always goes the opposite direction. They always rebel, and they always go the way of the Baal, Ashtaroth, and all of the other gods uh-huh. that were being served at that time. Well, just like the old saying is, or wherever Rome was wrote, a house divided against itself can't stand. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's a good point. That's good. That's, I think that's applicable here. Well, think about this. Let's say... And we've talked a lot about our children, right? How important the next generation is. Do you think he's referring to this here? Do you think that God understands the the magnitude of what a child will be taught? And if mama comes from a tribe who doesn't believe in godly ways, she's going to instill that in her son. You got to know, remember how important the male figure was in a family. He's going to be the one to carry on the name. He's going to be the one to... To go out and find a bride. So he, he's he been taught the ways of Ashtaroth, not the ways of God. And so he goes out and he marries in the next generation before too long. And when I say too long, 100 to 200 years, we have a whole group of people that know nothing about God. They pretty much purged him out. All right. Now let's, let's make some parallels. I'm not, let's look at, and you, because you answered the question. How does it apply to today? You actually answered half of that anyway with, with uh, being outside of the bonds of marriage and it, the family not working correctly. Could we, could we safely say that the family, the family, the authentic God-given family is under attack today? They are, and, and all, from all kinds of different fronts. And I could spend a lot of time on that. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But we know that they are under attack. It is vital today that we have, um, how do I say this? I don't want to say it the wrong way. That we have healthy marriages that are producing healthy children. It's imperative. Right now. It's imperative that we have healthy marriages producing healthy children. And I'm not talking about eat your vegetables. That would be good. (laughs) There's, There's nothing wrong with that. You want to teach your kids that. That's good. Teach them health and wellness. But teaching our children the fear of the Lord, to fear him, to fear him because uh, he gets to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. You better fear that. My kids better fear that. He's the decider. He decides all of these things. Sure don't want my the next generation that's coming in, because I said this last week too. I said, Jesus could come back at any time. But if he tarries... Your children are going to be taken over here pretty soon. They're going to be running things. And you say, you know, I'm not going to answer the question for you. I don't know. Ask yourself the question. Would the country be in good hands if my child was at the helm running it? 
And I didn't ask for comments, but you guys can go and do whatever you want with it. That should be something that we think about. That we that we think about. And I'm saying that to whoever's online too. Think about your children and if what you have taught them is adequate to get them through and to put them in a place where they can make an impact on society. All right. To do so would certainly influence Israel to turn away from the Lord, bringing about his anger and wrath on his own people. The Canaanite people, referred to as the Amorites in Genesis 15 and 16, had reached an unimaginable level of moral and spiritual corruption. Idolatrous worship would include child sacrifice to pagan gods, sodomy, and other abominations. They were so wicked that God declared it was time to remove them from the land. All right. The, one of the parallels that I also want to point out is, is that, of course, we don't see judgment quite this way, but the parallel of the way that God sees sin and what he asks you to do with it is no different today. God still says, I don't want you intermingling with that stuff. That's, it's, it's exactly the same today. I don't want you intermingling with that stuff. I don't want you... I don't want you messing around with it. I said, get it out of your life. And you said, it might be all right to keep it around. You see? But what ultimately happens when we keep things around? Does it go our way? No, never. It's, and if you really want to look at it, you're your own best history book. Look at your own history and you tell me if it ever worked right. So yeah, every time I went out, and uh, yeah, uh, getting drunk helps my marriage a lot. Uh, doing drugs just really brought me and my wife closer. And I'm using obvious ones. There's a whole laundry list of things that we could point out. And I ask you, I simply look, look at your history, you tell me how it worked. It didn't work out so well. So then why do we keep going back to it? Why do we, why do we keep doing the thing that keeps tripping us up and stopping us from getting to where we need to be with God. Because ultimately, this whole thing is about pleasing Him and making sure He's, and looking at God's Word and using it as a gauge to make sure He's pleased with our life. That's the whole thing's about. Okay. Um, Moses admonished the people to carry out the Lord's directive. If they failed to obey, they would surely be seduced into idolatry, incurring God's judgment. Israel's spiritual survival and status of God's people was at stake. Also, Israel is central to God's plan to bring salvation to all nations in the world through them. And so we know what that whole plan was, right? Plan of the cross. Plan of salvation. The ultimate plan was going to come through him. It couldn't come through a tainted line. And, and you've got to understand something from the, from the historical. Let me just speak once again briefly on this. The devil had been trying to destroy this lineage from the very beginning. Do you know that he'd been trying... I mean, when you read in Genesis and you see that, that um, the, the sons of God, you talk about fallen angels. It's historic. These were, in that time, giants. We know them as giants. So these fallen angels would come in and they, they uh, had sexual relations with the daughters of men. They formed giants. He did that on purpose to taint the lines because he knew that God was going to send a savior. Do your, do your history on that. It'll blow your mind that the devil was at work from the very beginning trying to taint the lineage lines to keep Jesus from ever being brought into the world. It blew my mind. I was like, wow, 
There's a lot more history here than just some giants. No, he was already trying to taint this thing. Why do you think he flooded the earth? He had to restart. Mm -hmm. So we could get, why? The whole thing has to do with Jesus. The whole thing had to do with bringing him into the world. So he's like, man, I regret ever making man. Do you remember that? He said, I, I, this is a bad idea. <laughs> These people are bad. And then you think, oh, man, was it really that bad? Yeah, it was that bad. So that's what had to happen, though. He had to, he had to reset and then start. But see, the parallel is still the same, though. Sin still corrupts. It has through history. It tears things up. It keeps things from being purified. And if things can't be purified, God can't use them. He can't use something that's unpurified. The only way we can be purified is through him. That's the only way. I said a lot there. I don't mean to give you too much information. But I really want to encourage you guys to look at that stuff. And, and not just don't take my word for it. Go, go look that stuff up and, and do some homework on that. It's great stuff. Okay. Um, am I at the last paragraph, I think, at the top? Moses admonished the people to carry out the Lord's directive. If they failed to obey, they would surely be seduced into idolatry. Oh, I think I already read all that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Next. next paragraph. I apologize. <laughs> the judgment Israel would mete out on the Amorite and Canaanite tribes would be eliminating the source of spiritual seduction toward idolatry. I think that was already mentioned in here. So we're taking <laughs> what? We're taking away the temptation. So briefly, why is it important to get things that are sinful out of your own house? Because you're going to go back to it again. And this also answers the question, at least to me, why does God at times ask us to get rid of things that we enjoy or like doing? Because we enjoy it a lot. Too much, the fact. But I believe there's also a silver lining that he understands that that is also probably going to lead to your downfall again. You're, you're putting that up high. You're worshiping that. It's become too much of a God to you. And so he's like, hey, listen, probably better if you just quit that altogether. I've had God come to me and tell me that. And I'm like, but it's just, or it's just, and God's like, it doesn't matter. It's probably better that you just stop that altogether. And I, over the years, I've understood more as to why he said, and, we, and, and can we agree, though, that we're, as Christians, especially in the modern world, we look at things so black and white, we're like, but it, what's not a sin, though? That's not a sin. I'm not doing a sin. I've Listen, throughout the years, I've learned that God will ask you to let go of things that don't necessarily sin. They stand to have the potential to bring you to sin. You think, man, God's kind of picky. No, God just loves the fire out of you. <laughs> he just loves you. And he's like, that's, that's not good. It's better just to get rid of that thing altogether. Okay, so... Um, God's people were not even to bring these pagan artifacts into their houses or they would share in the fate of those who were destined for destruction. Yeah, he's being particular for good reason. God's direction to totally destroy the inhabitants of the land also related to God's retributive justice. So is God a God of justice? Let's answer that question. But is, let's define that. Is he, is he a just God only because he gives you good things? Or is, is, do we understand the full meaning of justice? Because justice, to be truly operating in justice, is to recognize wrong Amen. and to call it out. Amen. So that means, once again, I revert back to God not being a respecter of persons. This is why his own people found themselves in trouble many times. God doesn't sway to one side or the left. He just says, 
I've got a way, and it's called no sin. And that's the way I go. You're either going to be with me or you're going to be against me. Now, which is it? There is no middle road. I think we need to make sure and make that clear. There's no middle road. And I think God's calling his church in these last days back to that place of being very serious and understanding about where we actually stand with him. And uh, making sure that sin is not in our lives. Their sins were so severe that they called for severe punishment to uphold God's standards of justice. For example, Moses reminded Israel of how the Amalekites mistreated them as they came up from Egypt. They mercilessly attacked and slaughtered the weak and most vulnerable. They did not fear God and aligned themselves against God's people and purposes. Moses and Joshua led a successful military campaign against them and declared perpetual war against them. However, time had come... However, time had come for payback. So you think, why did he say those things? Well, I'll tell you why he told them. He told them to make sure they had the right mindset. It's like, okay, before we go in there and we're going to go destroy these people, I want to remind you of the way they treated you and how they did you wrong. You think, well, that's not the right way to go about doing it. Well, do you understand why he said that? Because the people stood the chance to sympathize. Sympathy for sin. Sympathy for things that God had disdain for. And so he said, before, before we, what did he do? He did a little bit of history lesson for him. He said, hey, just look back and let's look at the way these people did you, okay? So if you're lacking motivation, this kind of, you know, it's kind of roused them up a bit. It's like, hey, yeah, I remember that. Now I understand. And so it kind of pushed them into uh, to the, to the battle to do what they needed to do. All right, let's go do section two. I definitely want to cover this before we close. These scriptures teach us two important things about God's directive to completely destroy particular tribes in the land. First, God anticipated that Israel would not immediately fulfill his command. The wars against these people would go on for a time, okay? So, it, saying basically, it was going to take some time. I mean, it wasn't like they were going to go out one day and just de-seat them. This was actually a, a, a process. But he was saying, for the sake of the process, remember, stay focused. Don't go in there and take out half of them and say, ooh, we got the majority of the land now. Let's shut down. I think if you read it from a storybook standpoint, it seems as though they've done it in about a day. That wasn't the case. It took some time. And so he was warning them that as you're going through the process of elimination, don't kind of get loose in your duties and then just pull back and say, that's good enough. I'm tired of being at war. We're tired of, of going to battle. We've gotten most of the land. That's good enough. That was why I told him that. Um, second, the initial command was tempered with certain exceptions. Moses was commanded to execute full vengeance upon the Midianites. They had seduced the Israelites into idolatry that involved sexual immorality. One Israelite, Zimri, brought a uh, Midianite woman into the camp for immoral purposes in full view and defiance of the leaders. Okay, this is where it gets, I mean, as far as, you got to go back and read the story. But this is a perfect example of what not to do. <laughs> so, it brings, brings the, the lady into the camp for immoral purposes. You can figure that out. When Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, witnessed this atrocity, he took a spear and killed them both. And what he done was he drove the spear through both of them. So, think about this. You think, whoa, hold on a second. That's just... That's crazy. They stopped it before it even began. Sin was in the camp. It was already there. 
So it's like, we're going to stop it right now. I mean, there's no kids in here, so you can think, use your imagination. He did what you think, well, no, no, they wouldn't really do that. He drove his one spear. He drove it through both of them. It already, now look at this, I want to show you something. Something had already begun to happen. God had already begun to send judgment upon his people for their adultery with a plague that took 24,000 people's lives. How serious is God about bringing sin into the camp? Now I think about, let's ask this question. How serious is God about sin? Think about it. And, and do you know that, and he's going to point it out here in just a minute. Actually, I'll just read it. But Phineas' zeal for the Lord and desire to protect Israel from annihilation halted the plague and earned him God's commendation. He commended him. You think, he commended him for killing those people? No, he commended him for stopping sin before it could ever get started. Remember, that's the parallel. This is the representation. These people are the representation of sin. And so when sin was in the act, let me ask you this. Did he favor the Israelite in this scene? No. What did the Israelite do? The Israelite went out and got the woman, brought her back. They both had to die. No respecter of person. He said, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. You're gonna have to die. So it's it's the representation of, of the sin. So 24,000 people's lives had already that 24,000 people had already died because of a plague, because I can imagine, this is just in my mind, I don't know when the plague started. It probably started the moment he picked her up and had the full intent and it's hard to bring her back. I'm going to bring this lady into the camp. So he gets her, and about the time they started coming into the camp, people start dropping. 24,000 people died. Yeah, that's a, lot. that's a lot of people. Needlessly. Can we say needlessly? Needlessly because of sin. All right. Um, the Aaronic high priesthood from that time on would be chosen from his descendants. And that was actually, if you read that, that was a high honor because of the, the privilege that was bestowed upon the Aaronic priesthood because of them standing against sin. Believe me, God still has the same attitude about sin today and is fully willing to support and bless those who shun sin. Mm -hmm. So, even full vengeance included exceptions. They were to spare the women who had not had sexual relations with men and take them as slaves. Okay, this is a good one. So why? So we're destroying everything else, right? So we're gonna, but we're going to take um, the virgins. Now, if you haven't read, if you haven't read through Deuteronomy and Levitical Leviticus, there was this thing that was called spoils of war. And there was where God would allow certain things to be taken. And a virgin was still able to come into the Israelite camp, be given away in, in marriage, and produce children that would be brought up with uh, as Israelites. And so you think, well, wait a second. God, God's, uh, he's, not, he's not doing everything that uh, he said he would do. No, you've got to read it. You've got to read it. You've got to read the whole thing, though you got to see where he brought these things in. That was called the spoils of war. Go check that out and go look it up. Um, mm -hmm. Later, God's, uh, uh, God, uh, God's commanded to uh, totally destroy the inhabitants of Jericho was mitigated 
by his directive to spare Rahab and her family. If you read that story in Joshua. So Rahab, you, th you think, everybody was destroyed. No, Rahab was spared. Why? Because of her faith. That's why she was spared. Rahab had believed the report of the two spies and had hidden them from the men of, uh, of her city who were seeking to capture them. Her faith and her actions were rewarded with the promise of deliverance. So does God always honor when we're willing to repent and walk away from the, our ways? Amen. Every single time, God will honor it. God will allow us to make a turn, change our minds, and then go to him. And then we live according to God's standards after that. Good, Jim. Well, we just got through seeing it for the last year and a half. I'd say for a year and a half, but I think it started way before they thought it, caught it in, in the United States. But the, here it says in, the, in this uh, uh, deal, and it don't have to come in line with what it's wrote here. But first it says famines, but the famine's coming. Mm -hmm. After this, it's not coming before this. Right. And uh, this is the pestilence. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of more, a lot more things that's happening in the world. Yeah. But you can say that this this had an effect on the whole world because the whole world. Yeah. Is in sin. Well, and that's that's a good point too. And I think that if if we agree with these scriptures. Whether, and just think about this. If you agree with these scriptures and we look at the, the things that God had sent on, on uh, groups of people and areas that were engulfed in sin. So if we agree with the scriptures and we look and we say, okay, I can see, yes, I believe that. Then we also have to look and say, is it possible that sin still causes the same issues for man today? We have to answer yes. Sin still brings the same issues. Still, still brings the same trouble, same problems that it did back then. Remember, I like to, I like to look at that from a historical perspective because I think you can learn from that too. All right, so um, God commanded the Israelites to totally destroy certain Canaanite tribes, but they did not obey. They tried with various levels of success to drive out the Canaanites, but wound up either coexisting with them or subjecting them to forced labor. Or, in other words, just took, took them as... Uh, just strictly as slaves. And the reason they done that was because, as I said before, it just got too much of a, a hassle. So we've already taken, I'm getting tired of hunting these people down. I'm getting tired of messing with this stuff. Let's just go back to our lives again and let's just, hey, we've taken the majority of the land. So what happened? Well, they ended up coexisting with them. They shared some of the land with them. And so it happened exactly like he said. It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the next month. It was over a span of time. Marrying started, and then all of the things that they had learned, they begin to corrupt the things of God. And before too long, God's people don't even serve Him anymore. This is why He's serious about this. All right. Um, therefore, Israel reaped the consequences of disobedience. The angel of the Lord came to remind them of what they were supposed to do and how. Because of Israel's disobedience, the Canaanites would become a perpetual and painful thorn in their sides. The Lord would not drive these nations out. Instead, Israel would suffer a terrible consequence. Uh, the paganism of the land would be a snare, pulling them into idolatry. So this is what he said initially. He said, I'm going to drive them out. Do you remember that? And who did he use to do it? God's people. He said, I'm going to use you to do it. I said, get this stuff out of the land. I'm going to use you to do it. You're going to purge the land. Okay. So what did he say here? As the judgment. This was the judgment. It says the Lord would not drive these nations out. 
He said, you want to live with them? Fine. Keep them. You want to intermarry? Fine. You go ahead and do it. But I'm warning you, as I told you before, this is going to lead you down to a path that you do not want to go. Amen. You're going to, you're, this is not going to end well for you. The, the, one of the, I'm almost out of time here. One of the greatest lessons that we can learn from this is to look at the time frame. We live in a society that works off of, of uh, gratification through time and time frames. It's always funny to me that Christianity has gotten to the point now where God is totally for us if he blesses us within seven days. If he blesses us where, we, where our patience isn't worn and worked and where we don't really have to use our faith, then God is for us. But God forbid we have to wait a little bit. And God forbid that we'd have, actually have to see God work 20 years from now. Remember that the, the time frame also works the same way with sin. You say, well, I want it this way. God's like, okay, in this circumstance, fine, you can live with them. I'm sure everything was great for a while. I'm sure everything was fine. It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen next month. It was years. It was years before that decision began to have that perpetual effect on their society. So let's draw a line. Let's draw a line from this circumstance, Old Testament. Let's draw it all the way to 2021. Okay? And think about the circumstances that are taking place in our nation right now. You think it has something to do with sin? You better believe it does. Do you think that it has something to do with not just sin, but the history of sin? that this nation's been involved in. And not recognizing it, not getting it out when he said so, and he says, all right, fine. You want to have all those things? Have them. You want to do this thing? Just do them. But I'm telling you, there's going to be consequences that you can't stop. You're just going to have to live with the consequences of your actions. You've heard me say this before. The, one of the most powerful gifts you, you've been given is the power to choose. Amen. Choose this day whom you will serve. Okay. Um... And it's going to fall on the just and unjust. It falls on both. You're right, Jim. Okay. So he's ending this out. He said Israel would uh, suffer terrible consequences. The paganism of the land would be a snare pulling them into idolatry. In the last sentence, I'm going to read, partial obedience is really disobedience. And it creates real dangers in our spiritual lives, eventually bringing God's judgment. That is a really hard pill to swallow because that's, once again, it, comes, it kind of comes back to our culture again. We, we reward for partiality. That was a good effort. Good job. You, 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 did, you did pretty good. Not too bad. Now think about this. and You think I'm being kind of droll and picking on you. I'm not. Remember, we're not talking about candy and ribbons. We're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not exactly something you just do partial. Come on. Okay? But often he's treated, in Christianity, he's treated as such. Mm -hmm. And so... If we're treating Christianity like that and we're not actually taking it as a whole and maybe not fully understanding that, there are actually some major consequences for sin. Ultimately, sin is defined as to ultimately bring death. And so, to me, that rings a lot of, um, brings a lot of uh, uh, sirens and red flags in, in, in my heart about the way that I perceive things. Partial obedience is really disobedience. Make sure you're not halfway with God. Make sure you're doing all with God. God bless you guys. Max time. Thanks.